In late 1990 and early 1991, sex workers in Dallas's Southern Oak Cliff area were terrorized by a man who came to be known as the Texas Eyeball Killer. Mary Pratt, Susan Peterson, and Shirley Williams all fell victim to him, and all had their eyes removed, hence the name. Welcome to the creepiest sleepover. I'm Kat, and today I'm going to tell you about the case that got me into true crime at an age probably far too young to be fascinated by it. I grew up in a suburb of Dallas, and I distinctly remember seeing the news of this on TV. I was five years old. Five. Years. Old. Why my father let me watch the news at five years old, I don't even know. I mean, I have kids, but my youngest daughter's only two, so she doesn't really give a shit about the news yet. She's more interested in Gabby's dollhouse and Blippi. God, I fucking hate Blippi. On December 13th, 1990, Mary Lou Pratt was discovered, her body lying on a street in Oak Cliff. One resident was so horrified at the sight of her bruised and beaten body that he ran to get a flowered bedsheet to cover her. Just a quick side note, don't do that. As nice as it is to give a deceased person some dignity in death, it does contaminate the crime scene. An article in Texas Monthly describes her as a large woman at 156 pounds, which, don't do that either. 156 pounds is definitely not large. Author, please. A police officer recognized her as one of the sex workers who worked the area. There were a lot of them back then, apparently a few on every corner. The case was handed to Detective John Westphalen, who went to the medical examiner's office with his partner, Detective Stan McNear, to watch the autopsy be performed. Dr. Elizabeth Peacock performed the autopsy. She made note of the needle tracks in Pratt's arms, the bullet hole left by a 44 caliber bullet in her head, and then opened her eyelids to examine the eyes. Except there were no eyes. No eyes. Just empty sockets. The eyes had been removed with so much precision that Dr. Peacock didn't even notice it until she actually opened the eyelids. By the way, as far as I know, that's not taught in medical school. Maybe some surgical program or something. I'm not a doctor, but I'm pretty sure the removal of eyeballs isn't exactly a common practice. That same day had two officers assigned to the Jefferson Boulevard beat, John Matthews and Regina Smith, who has a side hustle, by the way, as rapper Lucille Baller. I'm not kidding. There's a local news story of it on YouTube. You can go look it up yourself. They ran into a sex worker that they knew fairly well. That wasn't necessarily strange. They worked that street, after all, and their main job was to try to clean up the small-time crime in the area. Her name was Veronica Rodriguez, and she told them that she had been attacked that night. I've heard conflicting reports about her story, so I'll tell you both. In one, she went with Mary Lou Pratt to have a threesome with a man in a field. Afterwards, while she was getting dressed, Mary and the customer got into an argument and he shot her. Veronica escaped, running to a house and begging for help. In the other story, she was alone. She was taken to a field, raped, and then ran to that house. Either way, the man who answered the door was Axton Schindler, who was a truck driver who was renting the home. The cops had no other clues other than the white pickup truck, and they considered Veronica to be a liar and a drug addict, which 
she was a drug addict, but that doesn't mean that you can just, like, not take her seriously. In February of 1991, another body was discovered. This time, it was Susan Peterson. The body was found on the same road as Mary, and in much the same state, except that she had been shot three times, in the head, chest, and stomach. Since the body was on the other side of the road, for some reason it fell into county hands instead of the city, but thankfully, hero Dr. Peacock was the same medical examiner performing the autopsy. She told the county officer that she had seen a body in a similar state just two months ago, so the county and the city began to work together to find this son of a bitch, which I feel like that never happens. There's always some drama about, like, working together. They tried to keep a lid on it, at least a bit, partly to not scare the guy off, and partly to keep everyone in the city from panicking about a serial killer. Female officers who matched the general appearance of the first two victims, which was white and brunette, worked undercover, trying to lure the guy out. But someone in the department leaked to the media about, quote, strangely mutilated faces, which is probably when my five-year-old self saw it on the news. If only my dad knew that it would lead to a podcast in 30 years. It all came to nothing, though. Just a few weeks later, in March of 1991, the naked body of Shirley Williams was found outside of an elementary school. When officers arrived, Detective Westphalen immediately asked the medical examiner on the scene to open the eyelids. Sure enough, they were gone. The only clues they had were the white pickup and this Axton Schindler guy. The sex workers were willingly talking to the cops, though, and sharing anything they thought might help. Clients who got a little too freaky, men who had attacked them, One woman, Brenda Smith, told them about how she had had to mace a guy who tried to take her back to his house. She never let a trick take her anywhere other than one of the motels that the sex workers frequented. Which, good for her. And good for her for carrying mace, too. Everyone should carry mace. I say that as I don't carry mace. But I also don't go out at night. Like, if it's dark, I am inside my house. Regina Smith could not shake Veronica or Brenda's stories from her head. She looked up Axton Schindler and got an address, 1035 El Dorado. When she went to Deputy Constable Walter Cook with this info, they looked it up. The house didn't belong to Schindler, but to a Charles Albright. Cook had received a call just a couple of weeks earlier from someone claiming to be a friend to Mary Lou Pratt, the first victim. She had said that she had dated a man named Charles Albright, who was a very nice man, but had a weird fascination with eyes and a large collection of X-Acto knives. Not the best combination. Girl, you in danger. Get the fuck out of there. They put together a photo lineup that included Albright's photo. They showed it to both Veronica and Brenda. Brenda identified Albright as the man who attacked her. Veronica was so shaken by seeing his photo that she could barely hold herself together long enough to sign the back of the page. The case went to trial, and Albright maintained his innocence. He was, however, convicted and sentenced to life in prison. He ended up serving all his time in a psychiatric unit. Side note, he died in August of 2020, so yay, another dead murderer. Anyway, let's get to the really creepy stuff, yeah? Albright was adopted at three weeks old, back in 1933. He was super close to his mother, even though she was a bad mom in the serial killers have bad moms kind of way. She changed his clothes multiple times a day to keep him from getting dirty. And look, I have a toddler. Being dirty is just like a part of having a kid. 
I haven't worn my hair down in two years. My daily uniform is just my pajamas, usually stained with some sort of food that she's thrown at me. And good lord, does my kid love playing in the dirt. Keeping her fingernails clean is a full-time job in itself, and I don't have time for that if I want to, you know, feed and educate her. Albright's mom took him to the polio ward to scare him with the people in the iron lungs like they're fucking zoo animals and not human beings. She doted on him by teaching him piano and stuff, but she also spanked him when he wouldn't drink his milk and tied him to the bed when he wouldn't take naps. Like, why even have a kid if you're going to do that? I'm not the most patient person in the world, but becoming a parent has fortunately made me more patient because I have to be. Like when she throws a fit because I won't give her candy for breakfast, which is a daily occurrence, by the way. I can't lose my shit. I just have to just give her some strawberries instead and try to calm her ass down. His mom also got him into taxidermy. You know, stuffing dead animals. I honestly think they're kind of pretty, but also quite creepy. His mom was super cheap, though, and wouldn't pay for the glass eyeballs at the taxidermy shop. Which, side note, where can I find a taxidermy shop? I'm kind of curious now. She would go into her sewing kit and take out the little black buttons, and they would use those instead, which is somehow creepier than glass eyeballs. Albright had a criminal record. When he was 17, he went to prison for a burglary ring at North Texas State College, because, of course, he was also crazy smart and skipped a few grades. He ended up going to Arkansas State Teachers College and got a job at Crandall High School in Dallas as a biology teacher and football coach except his degrees were falsified. He ended up taking odd jobs as he lived off of his inheritance, which included painting a picture of his friend's wife with crazy detail in the eyes, of course. In 1985, he molested a girl he was babysitting. She was 14. He said he was innocent, but he ended up with 10 years. Probation. Probation for molesting an underage girl. The flames on the side of my face, y'all. The sex workers in Oak Cliff recognized his photo when the police showed them. They all said he was a nice client, if a little weird. With some, he got forceful, wanting to hit them with belts and call them whores. With others, he wanted to be the one to get spanked, like he did as a child, the sex workers said. His book collection showed a man with broad interests. He had cookbooks, books on art, true crime books, and Nazi literature. Minus the Nazi literature, that's also my library. I have like two shelves of cookbooks, shelf of art books, probably five shelves of true crime, some hockey books, the entire Animorph series that I plan on passing to my kid when she's old enough. But broad interests do not a murderer make. Nazi literature, maybe. Charles Albright maintained his innocence to the very day he died, but the cops found enough evidence to put him away, thank whatever higher power is up there. Oh, and they never did find the eyes of Mary Lou Pratt, Susan Peterson, and Shirley Williams. So, there it is. The story of Charles Albright, the Texas eyeball killer. Oak Cliff has been, quote, cleaned up since the 90s, even if my mother thinks I still shouldn't go there. I definitely didn't know all of these details when I was five, but I still claim it as the story that got me into true crime in general. Next week, I get to not sleep the night I record, because I can only record at night once my kid is asleep. 
ghosts. I'm so fucking scared of ghosts, you guys. I don't even know why. My husband says that I'm a big weenie. Our first technical date was supposed to be a haunted house, but the group we were going with ended up not going, so I was thankfully spared. Like, I literally left the house when my family decided to watch the new Halloween movie, just to give you an idea of how big of a weenie I am. So, ghosts. Specifically, the ghosts of Gettysburg, one of the most haunted sites in America. Sleep tight, because Lord knows I won't.